As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show's Euro 2020 coverage, day 13, and we were given four pretty bonkers games to round out the group stages. It took ages for Spain to stop being lame and actually win a game. Their drubbing of Slovakia is all but certain to mean the Golden Boot is going to own goals. The Swedes, meanwhile, will be hitting the bars in Stockholm even harder than Robert Lewandowski hit the bar in St. Petersburg as Sweden escaped a late Polish comeback to top Group E. A dramatic ending in that game also prompted a nationwide collective unclenching of buttocks in Ukraine. They're through as well. <laughs> On the final day in the group of death, we got more 2-2s than a ballet recital. Germany were nearly munched in Munchen by Hungary, who came close to serving die Mannschaft their just desserts. Meanwhile, France and Portugal did France and Portugal things as Ronaldo broke records, Hugo Lloris nearly broke faces and Olivier Giroud broke hearts. He didn't play, he's just very hunky. Here today is a man who would never punch an uncontested ball into his own net. It's Taylor Rockwell. Uh, I would not, and I, I definitely would not step all over that glorious introduction. I'm not even sure we need to record anymore, Ryan. I feel like you have covered every single base except for maybe that own goal, and now we've talked about it briefly, so I think we're good. I think the thing I didn't actually cover is my own name. I'm Ryan Bailey, by the way. I missed oh, out a fairly important detail, but thank you for uh, the compliment there, Taylor. Uh, also here with us is a man who can beat Karim Benzema's six-year gap between international goals. He's been waiting 20-something years for his first international goal. It's Graham Rudman. Hello. I hope the listeners are uh, ready for a tight three hours of uh, <laughs> talking about what happened today, because a lot happened, so I won't take up any more time. How are you, Ryan? I'm very good. I'm looking forward to taking some gardening shears to this edit, Graham, if that's going to be the case. <laughs> very much so. Uh, finally, rounding out our group of TSS presenters, of course, is a man whose analysis shines brighter than Adama Traore's arms. It's Joe Lowry. Oh, Ryan, we all know that's not true. That's, that's like the furthest thing from the truth. Nothing shines brighter than Adama's arms. Come on now. They're glorious, aren't they? I can't stop looking at them. I don't really want to go any further down this path personally, but uh, yeah, he is he is quite the player, not just in terms of his physique, but man, I like watching him just run and dribble and dribble and then dribble some more and then run some more. 
And can we all remember the fact that he apparently does not do any sort of weightlifting? That that's all apparently yeah. from like like cardio and machines. I still don't know if I believe that, but that's what his coaches no, say. No, I don't believe yeah. that. I'm just lo- <laughs> I'm just looking forward to when Spain are struggling to break down a, a low defensive block with ten minutes to go in the knockout rounds, and they all line up to slide Adama Traore down the pitch like a cleansman <laughs> with his with his oiled arms. <laughs> Do we know what product he uses, by the way? Is it just like a simple baby oil, do we think? I'm not sure. It's whatever I mean, The Rock uses, uh, I think. Uh, is there other baby, baby oils that aren't simple? Is there, like, like premium baby oil? Well, maybe <laughs> I, I, think, I think we're not going to go long as it is, so I think we should spend a couple <laughs> minutes letting Graham list all the oils he thinks it should be. Graham, take it away. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know how many, oils I, how many oils I know, and even if I did know them, it wouldn't reflect well on me if, if I was able to list them. I'm well, sure they're all available at your local hardware slash barber barbers, shop, Graham, so yes. that'll yeah. be fine. There are definitely several kinds on sale in wherever you get your fishing supplies and your haircut (laughs) and you got married there, I think. The list goes on of what you do in that building, Graham. It certainly does. But we uh, we certainly have four very exciting games uh, today to round out the group stage. Four games, 18 goals. The tournament kind of exploded today, gents. Why don't we start with Group F, the the later games in the day. Let's go to Portugal against France. This one finishing 2-2 in Budapest. France finished top of the group of death, the toughest group in the tournament, yet they don't look like the toughest team in town necessarily uh the draw here uh graham suited both teams uh what did you make of this one let's start from a france perspective i thought from both teams i mean i was primarily watching the the germany hungary game but i was it was impossible not to to be to watch both games as they were happening but to be honest i I feel like france were as we expected and portugal were as we expected and and i think joe sorry if i'm stealing your line a little bit here joe but you said in the group chat that the 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 two teams are 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 quite similar and 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 the way that they were set up it was just kind of france were were have are slightly better at defending um but every time i looked up at this game Pogba was playing those incredible balls in behind for either Mbappe or, or Benzema. I think the Mbappe penalty, which was quite dubious, I have to say, the the, the the end of the first half, that comes from a Pogba pass, doesn't it? And the Benzema goal certainly mm. comes from a Pogba pass. So, I mean, we've, we've spoken previously about France and how they like to sit quite deep and keep things tight at the back and then basically use the space ahead of them to to fire um, passes forward to Mbappe and Benzema. And Benzema. And then in Pogba, they've got the perfect player to do that. I thought this was one of Paul Pogba's. I know he tends to play better for France than he does for Manchester United, but, but even by that standard, I thought this was one of his best ever performances. Um, there was an excellent save from Rui, Rui Patricio as well to, to deny him a, a goal of his own after he'd... Um, kind of created the penalty as I said and got an assist for Benzema so I, I, I know that, that France have drawn two of the three games that they've played in this group but I'm still pretty hot on their prospects going into the, the latter rounds um, Taylor, I think I got a sneak peek at um, the whiteboard in the French dressing room at half time. I think it was just Deschamps had written on it um, give ball to Pogba then get Pogba to give it to Benzema and that yeah. was like all of the all of the, te- the the tactics for the game, I think, was it? I think, and then in much smaller letters, occasionally try to get it to Mbappe, but he'll have many people around him. So maybe foul? Question mark? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was about it. And this game was, I have in my notes, a game that reminded me why Didier Deschamps wanted to bring Karim Benzema because not only does he dispatch that penalty with ease, and that's a thing we haven't necessarily seen all the time in this tournament, but it's just a very high pressure moment, and for him to make that look easy, that's 
pretty except- exceptional. And then for him to make that finish for the go-ahead goal, which became, I guess, the uh, the final goal for France, uh, was also really impressive just with the way he settles the ball on the run. He plays it in. He hits it off the far post. But that feels like a Benzema finish we've seen him do for Real Madrid so many times, but less so for France until today. And again, it's just a strong reminder of what he brings to this team and how important he is when it comes to scoring goals for France. Uh, Joe, just the one goal from uh, open play in this game. The exact quote which Taylor, uh, Graham was referring to earlier that you put in our WhatsApp chat was, Portugal and France are like the exact same team, except France is slightly better at defending. <laughs> Do you stand by that at the end of the game? Are they, are they just the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other in slightly <laughs> different coloured shirts? I'm not going to lie, Ryan. I was actually thinking about trying to find that meme and, and caption it and post on Twitter. It felt like too much work <laughs> after I spent about eight minutes on my Sweden meme that I posted during their game against Spain in the first round. Which everybody I, stole. It's too, it's too much, right? It's too much. People were stealing it, whatever. But yes, I stand by that idea. This this matchup was between two very, very tactically conservative teams. Two of the most tactically conservative teams in this tournament. I think England would go right along with them in that little group. They don't really... Joe, if you don't put Sweden in there, I don't know what what we're You're doing right. here anymore. You're right. I should I should make that caveat. <laughs> tactically conservative with the amount of talent that they have. Sweden are go. tactically conservative. So many other teams are as well, but no teams like Portugal, France, and England have as much talent as they do, but choose to play as safe as they do. Neither team really likes to use the ball to do much of anything besides work it into their star player's feet. We've talked about Pogba. He was so incredibly good in this game, playing mm-hmm. that deep-lying playmaker role. Didier Deschamps switched up the formation into a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2, and so Pogba was next to Conte in midfield and was just spraying passes over the top. So France's game plan with the ball is Pogba, it's Mbappe, and it's Benzema. And and Portugal's game plan with the ball is try to find Ronaldo, try to get set pieces, and we're not really going to use our creative players to do much creating. That's the pattern that this game... Uh, that's the pattern that this game showed us, and it's what these teams have showed us all throughout this tournament. And I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon as as much as it makes our viewing experiences not entirely enjoyable. Um, Taylor, you know how cicadas only come out every few years and then when they do come out they're pretty like they're everywhere right it's not a Sanchez a cicada because yes. he seems to, he comes out he only comes out of European championships yeah. is that yeah. the case yeah uh, and he used to be I think one alongside William Carvalho I know maybe William Carvalho has has had his time as a cicada and Renato Sanchez will continue because yeah uh, for him to come back out and really even at club level to have the resurgence he's had uh, and then to be an important player for this Portugal team the Portugal team that were uh, pretty effectively trounced by Germany in the last game. And, and mm. I think the Carvalho uh, partnership with Danilo Pereira wasn't really working. So uh, Renato Sanchez coming in made sense just from the offset or just from the outset in that regard. But then with how well that midf- midfield played and combined at various points, other times less so. But I thought when they were playing well, it made a lot of sense why that change happened, and it made a lot of sense why he's in that squad, because I thought he brought a lot of flexibility to the position. I think he could move into a more defensive spot if he needed to, but could shift out wide, could shift up top if, if need be, and I thought gave them just another look that they haven't quite had yet, even if it came at the expense of maybe Bruno Fernandes. So yeah, that's I, can, I guess the point I would make, Graham, is that um, Sanchez having a much bigger impact than Fernandes. Would you go with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bruno Fernandes has had a, a poor tournament so far, um, which is making a mockery of my prediction that he might win the golden ball for the whole tournament before <laughs> before a ball was kicked. But it's not been a good tournament for uh, 
for managers and their stubbornness because it seems like this is another uh, this is adding to the trend of like clamor from fans about a player not starting and then them starting and and then justifying that clamor so i'm thinking you know renato sanchez for portugal i'm thinking jack grealish for england i'm thinking gerard moreno for spain Mm. and are the managers not supposed to be the ones who know better than all of us average joes well, I'm not sure um, Fernando Santos know better. If you if you watched him at the end of this game, he he looked like he was desperate to get a winner. He was really like trying to get everyone forward. He was basically on the field as well. And I think all the other all the players on the field were like, "Dude, the, this this result's okay. Like, <laughs> why why are you being like that?" Oh, it was in I contrast think... to Germany, who were wasting time with uh, like five minutes to go against Hungary. They might have, they might as well have had the live score app on the big screens at the Allianz <laughs> Arena, taking it a step further than Denmark the other day. Uh, Ryan, to your point, I think there was a moment in the second half when when I noted like this game has taken on a decidedly England versus Czech Republic vibe to it. I think it was when Mbappe Mm. was stretching out Nelson Tomato and then I think Adrian Rabia was like sitting on the ball uh, on the sideline and it just felt very like we all know we're okay with this, right? Everybody's okay with the draw. Like let's not... Let's not go too far with this one. And maybe just uh, word got back that things needed to be intensified in those final minutes. Maybe that was the director of the game demanding some some level of intensity from somebody before the full-time whistle went. Do you know who enjoyed himself here? Matthew Lahoz. That's who enjoyed himself, the referee. <laughs> yes, he, he did. <laughs> this was his moment in the spotlight, and he wasn't about to let go of it. Um, so a couple of controversial penalty decisions are we talking about here, Graham? Just in general, just the flair at which he <laughs> referees and officiates games. But yes, those are the those were the flashpoints. I mean, the the Larice one. I personally, I don't know what the the consensus is in here. I, I don't see how that how anyone could argue that's not a penalty. And in fact, I think Larice is quite lucky to stay on the pitch. The the Mbappe one, I think, is 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 not a penalty. Um, to be honest, and then the third one, I think, is is probably a penalty. But yeah, that, the fact that there's three penalties in one game that is classic, Matteo Lajos. <laughs> um, Taylor, I think you mentioned something in our group chat about wanting to talk about Anton Griezmann um, being nope. very, very tight and very organised. Sorry, I'm talking about his hair. Actually, you <laughs> you want to talk about his role on the field a little bit? Hey, sometimes you got to change it up, man. Yeah, I thought he, he was really interesting, and I thought Deschamps talking about how he wanted to free him up and use him in in like more creative capacities and let him find space made a lot of sense in the pre-match build-up, and then it made a lot more sense when it seemed as though that was maybe deliberate to try to get Portugal to focus on Anton Griezmann, to track him, to then have him open up space for usually Kylian Mbappe, sometimes Karim Benzema. But I saw a lot of, of Griezmann going wide to the left, Portugal's right, so then ideally pulling out a centre-back or a midfielder, or ideally all of them, or maybe even the full-back, and that then could create space for Kylian Mbappe. France tried that a couple different times. It didn't always work. I didn't think it was the best game for Griezmann. He even has this shooting chance at the end that I think... Uh, it, it's pretty similar to uh, who had the, the the howitzer for Switzerland, Andreas Christian or for Denmark. Uh, Andreas Christensen's hit. It's a very similar sort of situation, and Griezmann skies it completely and then gets subbed off, and that felt sort of par for the course for him. It seems like maybe he'll be the new uh, talking point for France going forward. So uh, in the next round, we have Belgium taking on Portugal in Seville this Sunday. France taking on Switzerland in Bucharest on Monday. Graham, if you had a team in this tournament, and I know you don't, and you probably don't want to be reminded of that, but whom would you like to face 
the least out of these two teams based on what you've seen so far out of, out of which game are you pinpointing there? Which... out of Portugal sorry I've, I've phrased that poorly out of Portugal and France right now if your team had to face one of them who would you least want to face I, well I mean I'd, I'd still least want to face France just because I think of that that Pogba Mbappe Benzema connection I think that that can unlock pretty much every team in the, in, in the whole tournament so yeah I'm still going for France um, despite the fact I think I always thought Portugal were going to get out of this group and I, I think they're a difficult team to play against as well and I think Belgium uh, they might they might struggle to find that space we've, we've spoken previously about how Belgium need to to get the space and in, in, in behind and get Lukaku turned and so on they might find that quite difficult against Portugal but then again you know P- Portugal have been found wanting in kind of the, the full back positions and in the wing back positions so um, yeah, I'm going to opt for France. I still, I still think for me, France are the favourites for this tournament. I'm not, I'm not shifting. I like Italy, um, but France are still the strongest well, in this tournament for me. France might also have fullback issues. Hernandez uh, and Dino, I think, went out in this one. Um, they don't have a trips to come in at left back, uh, <laughs> Graham. Yeah, I so, was going to ask. I was going to ask maybe um, Joe or Taylor or someone who watched this game a little bit closer than I did how Jules Koundé got on in, in right back. It is a position that he has played. <laughs> for Sevilla um, before I, I don't think I've seen it for France before and it's not his natural position obviously he's a central defender primarily but how did how did he get on in this game yeah I, I don't think he was especially good and and he didn't really have to be for France right because it, it, that goes back to my point of them not really wanting to do much with the ball beyond a few specific players I mean he, he didn't really offer much getting forward he didn't really have to get forward a whole lot and then obviously it, it's him giving up a handball for one of the Ronaldo penalties but that's I mean it's kind of splitting hairs, right? That can happen to anyone. I, I don't think he was especially effective, but I don't think he was really put in position to be especially effective. And then I thought he he was a little bit better on the attacking side than I thought he would be. I think he is the one who plays that ball across for Griezmann uh, to then miss. Uh, and I thought for expecting him to be more defensive and sort of put in there to to see out the game and protect the scoreline, I mean, to start the game with that in mind, I think uh, I was impressed by him on the attacking side more so than maybe the defensive side, especially with that handball. Uh, any more for any more on this game, gents? Joe, any more observations on this one before we move on to the other Group F game? Uh, watching games like this just make me thankful for Italy and for Belgium and for <laughs> Spain. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, that was Portugal against France. That finished 2-2, as did another game we're going to talk about very shortly after these important messages. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking Germany against Hungary. This one finishing 2-2 in Munich. This is the first meeting at a tournament between these two teams since the 1954 World Cup final, don't you know, Joe? That one finished 3-2 to West Germany at the Wankdorf, my favourite stadium. Uh, Frank Puschkas scored that day. There was one fewer goal in this one at a stormy Munich evening. Uh, Joe, I'll come to you first. Uh, um, tell me a little bit about Germany and how they set up here. They were in a very familiar 3-4-3 shape. We've seen uh, Lowe use it in every game in this group stage. Very similar personnel. We had Leroy Sané in for Thomas Muller in, in, one of that front, in one of those front three spots. This game for Germany was always going to be about their ability to break through Hungary's defensive block and to manufacture chances somehow, maybe on a set piece, as we saw later in the second half, or just in open play, breaking through that compact 5-3-2 block. And after Hungary go up early in the, in the 11th minute, it's it's a real question for Germany. How are they going to be able to break through? Because they couldn't, and they couldn't, and they couldn't, and they couldn't. And it felt like they were trying the same things over and over again. And that's that's been one of the main themes of this tournament, is ball-dominant teams trying to break down very defensive teams. And we saw that pattern play itself out in this game. We had a bonkers couple of minutes, Joe, when uh, Kai Havertz got the equalizer, and then uh, almost virtually from kickoff Hungary, uh, pull one back to Andres Schaefer. What, what happened? <laughs> It's it's two pretty massive defensive errors, right? So the Havertz goal comes on that free kick. It's really poor marking from Hungary that allows Mats Hummels to head the ball across to Havertz. And Havertz at that point doesn't have to do much of anything to direct the ball across the line. And then right off of the next kickoff. So Hungary are then kicking the ball off after the game's gone level and they're in big trouble at this point in terms of their ability to get out of the group. And then they score, they score seconds later. It's another massive defensive mistake. This time it's from Germany. Ginter steps forward and Hungary go right through him and Neuer comes out and it is just a major sequence of major mistakes. This game, I I had to catch up on this game because I was watching France-Germany, and so then I flipped over after I saw the chaos in our group chat and on Twitter. This game was just insane, and it was so much fun. It was indeed 
Graham, did we learn if you want to get past Germany's defence in that instance, you just loop a tiny ball over the top and have someone who's <laughs> willing to do like a John Terry header of doom into the goal? Header of doom. Yeah, I mean, I was I was out my seat at that point for for that second hungry goal because obviously the the narrative of the whole game is you know that that Germany have been hit with a bit of a sucker punch in in, in the first half and then. They spend so long trying to break Hungary down, and Hungary are, you know, they're 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 difficult to play through. They they hunt in packs. They know they're they're pressing triggers, and they they have threat on the counter attack. But it felt like for about sixty minutes or an hour, um, Germany were were banging on the door to get this equaliser. They get this equaliser, and then seconds later, Hungary score with their first attack in in a long long time. Um, and just to kind of illustrate how few attacks I know I'm kind of contradicting myself because I said that Hungary actually played quite well here but they 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 didn't have much in the final third and actually after 25 minutes Adam Salai had as many goals as successful passes uh, <laughs> and so it was it was yeah it, it felt a little bit like uh Germany got got sucker punched here but I mean this was this was the game of the, the tournament for me it had everything it had a potential shock quick fire goals comebacks goalkeeping errors monsoon rain in the middle mm. of it which was absolutely nuts and just added to the spectacle but I, I haven't watched this I'm not entirely sure this didn't this, this didn't appease me in terms of um, proving to me that Germany are a better team than maybe I thought they were I think they are pretty much um, where where we we all thought they were after after two games, which is sometimes they are intense, sometimes they're stagnant, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. They are a very difficult team to work out, and the tactics of the last ten minutes were nuts, absolutely nuts. I think it was Ginter and and uh, Hummels were playing as a back two when Musiala, Musiala comes on and Kevin Volland comes on, it was a little bit of Ronald Coleman just throwing every attacker on, but it actually seemed to work. Musiala did more on the left side than Sani. He did more in 10 minutes on the left side than Sani did in, in the whole match. Um, and yeah, I just thought this match had everything. It had me gripped, to be honest, which is why I kind of maybe didn't pay as much attention to France-Portugal as I would have anticipated. It had uh, Manuel Neuer as well like, claiming his tariff because I would argue for the for the first goal, uh, it's good for the Germany goal. Uh, it's Gulashi like coming way off of his line, way more than he needs to, and doesn't make the play, and then Germany end up getting the goal. And I feel like Neuer on his end thought like, "Hey man, that that that's my that's my area. Me me coming bombing out of goal uh, for debatable reasons is is my area. It's my area of expertise. How dare you?" And then he did that to let uh, Hungary score because I do not think that he needed to come flying off his line the way he did. It seemed like the angle was. Not the the tightest, but still going to be difficult for there to be a threatening shot. But if you come bombing out of goal and then don't get there in time, now you've made it a lot easier because that goal is pretty open. Taylor, I, I excitedly flick between these two games, as is my want. Um, whenever I flick this one on, mm-hmm. Leroy Sane was on the ball and then yep. he did something dumb. I mean, I can't tell if that was him... Like, like trying stuff, like if he was being sent out there to just try to create, try to make things happen. I do also think as the game goes on, it becomes harder to really know what exact shape Germany are going for because they've put on all of their many attackers. And so I think he's also being asked to do a sort of improvised defensive job. It's where he, he's when he's tracking back and there is the foul and there are these moments where it just seems like maybe he's being asked to do too much and thus not being able to focus in on one or two specific things that would have helped him 
excel. Maybe that's the generous way of putting it, but I did also then see him sort of misplacing some passes, failing to control in a way that would have been necessary. And once again, I think we have an example of a team that knew the pressure was there and credit to them for finding a way to get a result. But it was still, you could see the panic coming in the form of not like, you know, infighting and arguing, but just, I think, as as Joe said, it's trying the same things. It's crosses from deep. Okay, well, now we're going to advance the ball 10 yards further, but we're still going to cross the ball a whole bunch. Meanwhile, we still only have two central midfielders who are not particularly fleet of foot, one of whom picks up a yellow card for a professional foul pretty quickly. And I think that was always a worry of mine heading out of the France game, uh, the France-Germany game for Germany. And I still have that concern here. If they persist with this formation, I think at times they leave themselves exposed through the middle with the way they end up committing numbers out wide. Well, I hope they do that in the next round because they're facing England uh, next Tuesday at Wembley Stadium. My my text messages were going off after the game. Oh, it's England versus Germany. Gareth Southgate's there. It's Wembley. Narrative, blah, blah, blah. But there's me thinking, I'd much rather face this Germany team than Portugal, frankly, because of that, because of the way they can be pretty passive quite a lot of the time. And if England come out swinging like they have done in at least two of their three games, I'd be pretty hopeful of getting a result. Joe, am I, am I crazy? No, not well. I, maybe maybe about other things, but certainly not about this, right? <laughs> I, I think Germany is a much better matchup for England than Portugal because we haven't seen England consistently be able to break down a low block, and that I think is fair. That, that's what we would expect Portugal to be doing in that game. Mm. Germany will try to come out and be the ball-dominant team. They'll try to push numbers forward like they have done in all three group stage games, and that leaves space for England to attack on the counter. We saw how dangerous they were in open space against the Czech Republic in that last game for England in the group stage. I think Germany, I think that's a good matchup for them. I don't know if they'll come out on top. I I think it's probably pretty even, but yeah, better than Portugal, I think for sure. Um, Graham, a note on Hungary. They finished in the Scotland position of this group, but do they go home... um... With their heads high, do you think? Held high, I should oh, say. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think they were... They were. I mean, I, I did say in, in, in my preview that I thought they would be competitive, even though they they didn't. They, they missed Sobislai to give them that little bit of X factor in the attacking third. I didn't quite anticipate that they'd be this competitive, where on, with 10 minutes to go or whatever it was, they, mm. they were actually going through and Germany were going home. Um, but yeah, absolutely. They can they can hold their heads high with, with the effort that they that they put in. The, the, the amount of ground that they covered tonight, towards the end, I did feel quite sorry for them because it was, it was quite clear they just... They just didn't have anything left in the tank. Um, the amount of the, the the ground that they'd covered, the the way that they pressed Germany for the full ninety minutes, because that was one of the things that one of the things that I, I I thought to myself, they're not going to be able to keep this up for the whole match. And to their credit, they absolutely did. You know, they, they never really let off the the pressing with Germany, and they struggled with that Germany for the full match. So. Yeah, the, the Hungary have been one of the success stories. Despite the fact they finished bottom of this group, um, I think the the level and standard of this group is a mitigating factor, and they've been one of the success stories of this tournament for me. Yeah, we. I think you did the Hungary preview, did you not, Graham? And I think you said words very much to that effect that they wouldn't they wouldn't be here just to make up the numbers. And I think they they have been pretty effective in this group. I think they very much have their heads held high as they come out of this one. Uh, Taylor, anything more on Hungary or, or Germany for that matter? Uh, just to echo what Graham said, that I thought Shalai especially uh, had the job of sometimes uh, stepping forward to be part of like a front two, sometimes dropping into midfielder, sometimes having to play wide, but having to cover a ton of ground and know exactly where he needed to be in the exact right moment. And I think for the most part in this game, he did everything he possibly could. I was with Graham that I had in my notes like, I don't see how they're able to do this with this personnel for the fu- for the entirety of the game. 
And they went for a very, very long time. And Ryan, I will say, I also had the note of we should give credit to Graham because I think I was sort of like, I, Graham, I appreciate that you're like trying to hype up this hungry team. But come on, man. Like, this, this group is what it is. And I think <laughs> though they don't end up getting it out, getting out, I think Graham was absolutely right to sort of point out that this team could cause problems and could be difficult to break down and could potentially snake some goals and have some unexpected moments. And that's exactly what they brought to this tournament. Indeed. And unfortunately, they are going home. As we mentioned, Germany will be facing England at Wembley in their round of 16 matchup. Uh, we've got plenty more to talk about on this podcast. Plenty more indeed. We've got Group E to talk about after these important messages. Stay tuned. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Uh, Taylor was just saying during the break that he thinks England going to win uh, against Germany. I'm very encouraged <laughs> by that. Um, is that right, Taylor? <laughs> It is, if it's opposite day, hey, dad jokes. Uh, no, I, I just, I was looking at the bracket as it is, and there are a couple teams that feel like they will be consensus, like, oh, they've got this in the bag and could be in for some trouble. And England, with the way Germany have been in this competition, sort of up and down, sort of erratic, England grinding up those results, that does feel prime for a, we're going to do it this time, it is coming home, and then abruptly it's not, or it is, I guess, if you're German and you believe that football belongs in Germany. Uh, excuse me, Taylor. 
we we drew Scotland. I think we can beat Germany, frankly. <laughs> um, but it, it would be big for Gareth Southgate, of course. He was uh, he missed the penalty at Euro '96 against the Germans. Uh, if you remember that same tournament, Stuart Pearce scored a penalty in the winning shootout against Spain, and he had missed a penalty at Italia '90, of course. So there was um, uh, sort of some 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 retribution there of, of sorts. So I think uh, there could be some redemption is the word I was looking for uh, for Gareth Southgate as well at this Why? tournament. Um, Why? Hey, why did I open the door for more England talk? Why do I do this to myself? Like, I should have known, I'm sorry. Do you know what this tournament was lacking? More Euro 96 nostalgia. That's can, we pause, can we pause for a moment? Because I think we do have a very like large American audience. Graham, can you talk for a second about what the coverage has been like? Because I think people might miss that it is pretty much England-centric uh, from start to finish. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Every <laughs> single game, to, what the, 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 the Portugal-France game today, I turned over to, to halftime to, because I hadn't been watching that game as closely. I wanted some analysis and some highlights of that. I didn't get any highlights lights of uh, Portugal France I got uh, Gareth South a Gareth Southgate in- interview and then a montage of en- England's win against Czech Republic and then some chat in the studio about England it's it's absolutely relentless it's it's insane it's it's outrageous that the home broadcaster would talk about the home team Graham you're quite right there was quite Portugal right. France going on <laughs> Wait, come on <laughs> Oh, Taylor, you did this to us. Taylor, yeah, I apologize. you did this to us. I apologize. <laughs> I don't mean to do these things, and yet I can't help myself and then uh, walk away and eat popcorn. I mute the mic when I eat popcorn, though. Uh, like Ross Geller holding a couch, I'm going to pivot away from this one. <laughs> we're going to go to Group E, and we're going to talk about Slovakia against Spain in Seville. Spain finishing in second place with their first win of the tournament. They have been rewarded with a round of 16 match against Croatia next Monday in Copenhagen. Uh, Spain, Joe, actually had some purpose behind their passing, and they've gone done some goals. Way! <laughs> they've gone done a lot of goals, scoring five in this game. I'm really torn, and I guess this is a very classic things-can-be-two-things situation. I thought Spain were fun in this game. They moved the ball well. They moved it with purpose. They broke lines. They got into the box. They created chances, and they actually finished chances. All those things are great. On the flip side, though, I thought Slovakia were just absolutely dreadful. They could mm. not contain Spain at all, not not even close to the way that Sweden did and not even close to the way that Poland did in Spain's first two games. Spain always found the free man in midfield. Sergio Busquets ran this game coming into this tournament for the first time for Spain, playing that sixth spot. I mean, this really was a classic Spain good, Slovakia bad. Soccer is complicated sometimes, and we can give credit and blame at the same time. Yeah, um, Spain made a lot of changes, Taylor, didn't they? With um, with Busquets coming in, as as uh, as Joe says, he looked pretty impressive. Uh, Dave Espelicueta coming in as well. Uh, quite quite a few changes, and for, for the better. Yeah, I mean, I think you still had Morata missing a penalty, which which made me so sad, but did feel like at least they're keeping some some things consistent. I really have no rooting interest for Alvaro Morata or for Spain, but I was actively rooting for him to miss it or to make it. And when he missed it, my immediate thought was just like, oh, this poor man. And I guess he gets applauded off at the end. He gets the assist. He works very hard. I think he'll probably continue to start. But that did seem like the moment when he could really get his goal like we saw Kareem Benzema do. And instead, we saw him miss that one. But I think I am with Joe overall on, on my read on this game. Because I thought Spain did play really, really well. Their subs come on and obviously have an immediate impact. I genuinely don't know if there's a way that they could have had more of an immediate impact for two of them to come on and immediately (laughs) essentially score one and force an own goal on the other one. But I also thought Slovakia essentially played exactly into Spain's game plan, and I cannot tell if that's really good work from Spain or really poor 
research from Slovakia because they were essentially committing their numbers forward and attack into almost a like a 2-4-4, thinking, I guess, that they could kind of overload or pull Spain apart. But Spain in a back four, that four matches up with that four. And then they would have their wide players, their wide attackers drop in. And now they have five midfielders who can outnumber those four. They kept their midfield tight, but then they could spread wide with those um, attackers turned defenders and essentially limited anything Slovakia could do because they were sort of had all of the spaces marked. And I think it's a big reason why they couldn't play out. They couldn't ever really get out from under the cosh to use one of your people's terms, Ryan. Uh, And so it really made it difficult for Slovakia to find any sort of rhythm in contrast to what Hungary kept doing to Germany. Just those few moments where they could get out and possess and slow the game down, have some fouls, have some rain, make it a physical affair. I think that's how you get by teams if you are slightly less talented or have slightly less deep of a talent pool and i don't think slovakia did that and i think spain were very happy to take advantage Mm. um graham you spend a lot of your days watching spanish soccer i must admit when i saw this team sheet come out and you had busquets back in there aspera in there eric garcia in there sarabia thrown in there as well it felt like is this a friendly what's what's the uh they know stuff is at stake right but it did work out very well and i thought particularly the midfield was was where it was at with busquets there with coke with pedri who was really good as well it just seemed like they had control they've had control before but it was you know it it, it was with purpose as well I, I had the same reaction to the team sheet the, the biggest the most surprising call for me was that marcus Lorente comes out at right back and you think okay well he's going he's going to be either on the on the right side and on a, a, in the attack and a kind of drifting role and cut inside or he's going to be somewhere in the midfield and then he's left out of the team altogether which was there'd been a clamor for him to be moved out of right back but it wasn't for him to be dropped you know a lot of people <laughs> think he's a key player for Spain so that was surprising as Pilaqueta I think makes sense because that's you know it's a, it's a position that is natural for him to play on the right side. Then to have Gerard Moreno, who started on the right on the right side against Poland, start on the left side, and then Sarabia, who I question whether he should be, even be in the squad in the first place, then on the right side of the attack, it was all a little bit strange. Uh, Eric Garcia coming in, you know, has hardly played any football for Manchester City this season, um, and he comes in a- alongside Aymeric Laporte. I don't know whether um, Luis Enrique was counting on a little bit of a, a-, a club partnership there um, or something I don't know what really what the thinking was there but thankfully for him Slovakia offered so little in this game that Garcia Laporte as a partnership never really got tested but uh, yeah you're right the midfield was where it was at for for Spain I thought Busquets coming into that midfield made a massive difference just in terms of setting the tempo and allowing the likes of Pedri in particular just a little bit more freedom to to push forward higher up the pitch I thought Pedri had arguably his best game for Spain so far and Busquets he, he is fading as a physical force but when you have Koke running around him and, and, and doing a lot of the legwork and a lot of the, the physical work and providing that little bit of protection for Busquets he's still got so much to offer and so I think I know I know um, Lucho Luis Enrique likes Rodri in the centre he tends to favour the physicality of Rodri in that in that kind of holding midfield role I would be surprised now if Busquets comes out of that team for the for the last 16 match I thought he he made a massive difference agree with that Joe Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think the midfield worked together really well in this game in general, not even zooming in on any particular person. I think 
just the the blend. We've talked about it with Italy, right? With their trio, and you have Jorginho, and you have Locatelli, and you've had uh, you know Barella, right? That's that's the third guy who's played on that on that right yeah. side. I might be misremembering, but I mean it, it's a nice blend. And then you have Verratti potentially breaking into that group. Spain have something kind of similar, even though they play a little bit differently. There's there's generally a lot of similarities in these groups, and I think the midfield that we saw today from Spain complemented itself really really well, and and also complemented the rest of the team. I already sung Busquets' praises. We've all done that. Koke, I think, brings a little bit of physicality in midfield. He's dangerous when he counterpresses. Also good in terms of his off-ball movement. And so some of the play on the right side can move past him, but that doesn't mean he's not working in that group. And then Pedri, he's 18 years old. And the way that he moves and the way he checks his shoulder and sees space and gets on the ball with both feet... So, so, so good. And so, yeah, the personnel for the Spanish team, not exactly, I think, what any of us would have expected. I thought we were going to see Tiago, and I was wrong about that. But we saw why Luis Enrique played them, because they were devastatingly effective in this game. And I thought as well, Pedri, just also doing the simple things when they needed to be simple. I thought Spain's, I think it was their fourth goal, uh, would be a likely candidate for master set piece theater. I thought it was, uh, or I thought it was excellent off the corner. It's, I think, Sarabia to Pedri. Pedri receives it, just waits a little bit, just pulls in the defenders and then plays Sarabia back in. It was a really nice wall pass, Sarabia with a smart run. And then he plays it in for Ferran Torres and he has that little like reverse instep finish. I thought the way those players connected, it shows that Spain do have that set piece planning. They do have that sort of lethal ability off of set pieces. So I think opponents need to be nervous about that. But I also think uh, Slovakia, I've already talked a little bit about the tactics for them. I think there is an argument to be made that their goalkeeper sort of broke them uh, because (laughs) they're doing well. They're hanging in. And then that first goal happens what a howler it is. And to some extent, it all seems to unravel from there. Uh, we, I think, Ryan, you asked in the group chat, what was Dubrovka doing? I had this very long explanation that I'd written out that I, I sort of summarized. And then Graham, I think, just responded like, thought he would get hit. And Graham is correct. Graham, can you explain what, what you thought happened on that one? Well, I think I think he's just I think he's just waiting and bracing himself for because he obviously senses a rush of both his own defenders and the attackers challenging for that ball that spun high up in the air. I think he's braced himself for a contact and anticipating that he'll get a free kick from it, and that 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 contact just never happens. And so by the time he realizes that the contact isn't happening, if you look at where he his hand makes contact with the ball. It's way lower than you would expect a goalkeeper. If he was just going for the ball cleanly, he would punch it much higher, or he would he would tip it over much higher. It's kind of like at his head height by the time yeah. he actually makes contact, which says to me that he's in, he's anticipated how that's going to pan out incorrectly. That's that's how I saw it anyway. Yeah, and I and I think you're absolutely right because then I went back and rewatched really? it and. And to see him, essentially, I think the reason, other reason why he bats it in, aside from just poor positioning, is that he is anticipating that contact, which doesn't come, but he's also looking for it and not really looking at where he is in relation to the bar. So I think when he does finally, you know, try to push it over, thinking, at the very least, I'll push it on onto the crossbar, he's instead pushing it into the net. And if he's maybe a little bit more focused on that and less so looking around him to see if there's contact coming, I think he probably makes a more successful player. You see at least more of a desperate scramble to keep it out, which we did not end up seeing, nor did, nor did his teammates, and then they were broken, and then away went Spain. <laughs> I buy the rationale there, but he's a, you know, he's a Premier League goalkeeper. He should do better. Oh, absolutely. That. Of course. It's an, it's a, I'm not trying to excuse the error. It's an absolute howler. It's one of the worst <laughs> mistakes I've seen from a goalkeeper in a long time. I'm just trying to... Uh, provide some insight into maybe what was going on in his head. But what was going on in his head was the wrong thing. 
<laughs> just put it over your bar first and foremost and then worry about the contact well I suppose if, if you think about it I think all, all three Spanish forwards have missed pretty good chances before that point uh, and it looked like things were going very against Spain's wishes and then they score five goals so you could you could certainly say that was a, a confidence moment where the floodgates open I'm looking at my notes here and you, you have to, spoken about uh, Taylor uh, you've spoken about Slovakia all I've got written down in here is they had nothing going on how did they beat Poland um, yeah, <laughs> and I still don't have the answer to that. <laughs> Nor do I. Like, uh, Joe, I think I think we thought Slovakia were going to be way better. I certainly did. I'll own that one. I thought after that Poland game, I was like, here we go. They're going to be this like like uh, Atalanta esque anarchic team that you can't quite pin down, and they're fluid and they're all over the place. And Marek Hamšík has the mohawk, but also the attitude to back it up. And then their next two games kind of went the way they did, and now here we are. <sighs> fun well my, my imaginary friend said this would happen that's all i'm saying guys he told me this he told me this <laughs> all right um look, why don't we move on to the other group e game we'll round this pod out with sweden against poland this one was a pretty exciting game joe would you like to tell ladies and gentlemen what you said about this game before it kind of took off Oh, I said something mean or or something negative. I said, I'm trying to scroll up in the chat. I just basically said, this game is pretty predictably dull in the first half. And it was. It was dull in the first half. It was fouls and it was set pieces and long throw-ins. There's a water break because it's too hot over there in Europe right now. There was all that good stuff. And and I'm excusing here the early goal that Sweden scored, which was quite nice. I mean, Forsberg with a really nice finish. But it comes off of this moment of chaos and there's not any real attacking you know, ideas behind it. It just kind of happens. And the first half carried on that theme. Sweden started out by attacking a little bit. Then they sat deep in that 4-4-2 that we always expect to see from them. Poland tried to attack, but they don't really have much structure to them either. And so then they just kept lumping crosses in and lumping crosses in. And as the second half starts, I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. This is another 45 (laughs) minutes of what we saw in the first half. And then uh, all hell breaks loose and it becomes (laughs) awesome very quickly. Yeah, I should mention the scoreline, by the way. It was 3-2 to Sweden, this one. Uh, Sweden had already qualified, of course. They're now going to play the Ukraine in Glasgow next Tuesday. Uh, Graham, I was kind of a bit confused by Sweden because we know them as being very organized, very tight in the back. And for that second Robert Lewandowski goal, he was left alone in the middle. And he's, he's Robert Lewandowski. You don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what Victor Lindelof's got in the locker, <laughs> as my as Taylor will know as my United fans. That's actually a bit harsh. I I actually haven't done the analysis close enough to know if it if it if it was his fault. But you're right; it was a lot of space to to give uh, Robert Lewandowski that far out, and he's missed some big chances at this tournament, Lewandowski. But he wasn't he wasn't going to miss this one. But the the finish for the the first goal for Lewandowski is, is so Oof. fantastic, and that it comes. From it comes a few seconds after I think Sweden have scored their second. I'm correct. Am I right yeah. in saying that? Yeah, it was like two minutes after. Um, so th- again, I mean, I, I I think it's I don't know if anyone else has this thing about quick fire goals, but I just love the the whiplash of the kind of narrative uh, in a game like that when you get two really quick goals, one for either side. Um, so my I wasn't really paying much attention to this game until that happened. To be honest, until I felt like Poland had something in them. Um, and that when they did fight back in this game, it just made me wonder where where was this earlier in the tournament? Where was Lewandowski? Where was the creativity? Where was the, Where were the chances for Lewandowski? Yeah, Poland once again letting us down at a major tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Pr- pretty wild that chance that Lewandowski had as well, where he hit the bar, the hit the, oh, the yeah, bar twice. Oh. 
and yeah. then had the ball fall to his feet where he couldn't get it out from under his feet as well. So he basically had three chances to put it away within the space of about two seconds. So that was a that was a very dramatic moment as well. Um, Taylor, what did you make of uh, Sweden in this one? And besides the uh, vibes defending, it mm. wasn't so much of an Isaac starring here as it was um, Kuliszewski who got a couple of assists here. Uh, very much re- um, did all the work for the, the first and third goals, I think it was. Yeah, that sounds roughly correct. No, I think it was the second and the third. Second um, and third, okay. yeah. But, 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 but yeah, I thought, I thought Sweden were impressive in their own special way, which sounds like <laughs> I am being dismissive <laughs> or patronizing, and I don't mean to be, but like, how many of you all have watched The Mandalorian? This is my random reference. I have, yeah, I have. Graham? Just me? Okay, cool, just me. All right. Ryan? <laughs> nope. Unacceptable. I tried. Fine. Uh, I've not seen a Star Wars before. Well, people who people who have will know that Wait, he what? is like very disciplined and never relaxes. <laughs> I have no patience for him. You we, know what? You, no, there will be no Mandalorian references. Instead, no, I will no, just say, her. I want to hear it. They, I want to hear it. They remind me of like a, a fancy gentleman in his full three piece suit at a party, and it's like, hey man, like it's a party, relax. And he's like, all right. Like, I'm, I'm really going to, like, get wild here. And he, like, slightly loosens his tie. <laughs> That's what Sweden reminded me of in this game. Because they get the early goal. And from then on, I think I see them in a 4-4-2, like, empty bucket with the almost, it's like four. And then the two central midfielders in the pivot. Then there's two wider. Then there's two up top. But that was the, like, level of experimentation I think I was prepared to see from Sweden until Kuliszewski comes on. Mm. And he adds that extra factor that Isak also brings. And to put them on the field together, it was brief, but it was very fun. And Kuliszewski has the 60 70 yard run to set up the uh the second goal then has the great kind of control dribble dribble to pull in the defenders to lay it off for the go-ahead goal for the winning goal excuse me and i thought to some extent that was an incredibly important moment for sweden maybe more than any other in this tournament not just because it gets the win it gets them top of the group they get the extra day of rest but also because just momentum had so clearly shifted and it felt like Sweden were going to be lucky to get out of that one with a draw. And that's the type of thing you have to be able to do if you want to make it to the knockout round and then maybe have some success in the knockout round is find a way to fight back when things seem to have turned, when the, mo- when the momentum is going one way, to be able to play your, back- your way back in, find a little moment and from that moment get a goal, relying on your key attacking players to do so. It has to feel good for Sweden, not just to to top the group, but to get the result the way they did. Taylor, so, were you going to compare Sweden to the Mandalorian? Because if so, I, I, I can actually kind of see what. Yeah, just very, very, it's very uh, disciplined, proper, and yeah, disciplined. That's yeah. right. That's that's the perfect word for it. I and it's, yeah. to add in to add in some references, I guess, or not really references, but to loop Ryan and Graham back into the conversation after I took it back to Star nah. Wars. Apparently, Ryan's never seen a Star War. <laughs> I thought Kuliszewski, Isak, and Forsberg. I think when they're on the field together, and we could see all three of them start against Ukraine it in the round of sixteen. That's that's a formative counterattacking trio, right? Forsberg has so much quality, and it feels like he is the shining light in this team, at least out wide. And then Isak has those slaloming, dribbling runs in him, and, and he can get a shot off. And then Kulisevsky brought some class as well. I, I think I think those three players can give almost any team in this tournament some challenges in defensive transition, offensive transition for Sweden. I think if, if all three of them start or at least play 20, 30 minutes together against Ukraine, Ukraine might be in a bit of trouble. Um, uh, Graham, uh, looking at Poland here, they did something that, not, I don't think no no other team has managed to do, and that's break down Sweden, get some goals against them here. Um, for all their faults and for all the disappointment they've caused, they have done something in that respect. 
Yeah, I I, I guess <laughs> it's not much. It's not much of a consolation for them. Would you like the, a Mandalorian you know, the... reference in there? Will that help? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I mean, have you got any? Have you, have you got any? Do you know what a Mandalorian is? I I don't. I watched about five episodes, and I don't know what a Mandalorian is. But uh, oh great, man! This two day break cannot come fast enough. <laughs> let me just say that. <laughs> Uh, and I will say it watching Star Wars. <laughs> I actually like I actually like Star Wars. I have to say it's just, and I've seen all of them. It was just Mandalorian. I couldn't get into. Really and I actually like Victor Lindelof. And I will say I don't think he is at fault for that one. I think it's uh, Danielson comes across. I, I can't say that name and not feel like I'm about to uh, make a reference to Karate Kid. Uh, but Danielson comes across, and I think he's trying to make a play, and that's why Robert Lewandowski has that amount of space. Maybe it's Lindelof as well, but uh, I, I would rather blame somebody else this time. I've not seen Karate Kid either. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, Ryan, other than, <laughs> like, stop living in a vacuum of uh, zero pop culture except for The Simpsons and The Foo Fighters, and then maybe uh, maybe you can learn some things. <laughs> Ryan, you're now, you're now experiencing what it feels like to be me every time there's a Simpsons reference or a Futurama reference or just, I don't know, a lot of the pop culture references. Now you understand what my life is like. <gasps> it's what it feels like when doves cry, Joe. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Um, Joe, did you have any thoughts on Poland and the way they were able to break through this Sweden team? Yeah, I think, man, it was it was frustrating for Poland for about 60 minutes of this game. And it surprised me because the way they eventually break through and at least get on the board. They're down 2-0 in the 61st minute. And it is that first Robert Lewandowski goal. And, and they score that goal in a moment where Sweden are stretched. And I, I didn't really understand this part of Jan Andersson's approach for Sweden. They were up 2-0. They didn't even, I guess they didn't really need a result in this game anyway. So it didn't matter a whole lot. But they're up 2-0 and they're still pushing numbers forward, which I would argue is a valid strategy for a lot of teams in this tournament. But Sweden is not one of those teams. They're not this attacking juggernaut that's really going to tack on a third. I think they would have been better served sitting back a little bit deeper, but they kept pushing forward. All right, that's fine. That happens. And then Poland catch him out. Zielinski plays this beautiful through ball into Lewandowski on the left side. Sweden don't really have a lot of numbers back. Lewandowski then cuts the ball from the left side of the box onto his right foot and scores just an incredible goal from a deceptively challenging angle. I don't, I'm not sure the initial broadcast angle gives us a full appreciation. I think the couple of replays did a better job. But it, it's a goal that catches Sweden out, and that shocked me. And the second goal for Sweden wasn't so much in this major defensive transition moment. It's more just poor defending in the box. They had numbers back to deal with that cross in from Frankowski into Lewandowski. But they don't deal with it, and you go down, and it's 2-2 at that point. But I think Sweden have to be very careful. Poland kind of sent the signal here to, to Ukraine. They said Sweden can be beaten in transition if you do have an opportunity to get in behind them. And I think Ukraine will have a few of those opportunities. Sweden have to be very careful with how they choose to push numbers forward in that round of 16 game. Joe, I think, I think you— uh, Well, that you... round of 16— Sorry, I was going to say, I, want, I wanted to emphasize that Joe absolutely nailed that one, uh, because going back to the 2018 World Cup, we talked about this a little bit previously with Sweden, that the only two goals they conceded in the group stage were in their loss to Germany, one of which was in like the 94th minute or something like that, both of which are them committing numbers further forward than like than they normally do, getting caught out and conceding goals in transition. And that's exactly what happened here. And I think we look at that Ukraine team for a moment. There's an argument like, yeah, sure, go at them and try to make something happen if you're Ukraine. But there's another argument of maybe play defensive, track everybody you need to, lull them into sending numbers forward, and then try to hit them on the break. I think there is a blueprint there if Ukraine want to take it. 
Well, there we go. Uh, Graham, by the way, that game Sweden against Ukraine in the round of 16 is going to be on your doorstep in Glasgow. Are you going to have some Swedes and Ukrainians descend upon your adopted hometown, you think? I have friends who were absolutely gutted at that Sweden late uh, stoppage time winner because otherwise it would have been Spain who were up against Ukraine. And nothing against Sweden. I quite like Sweden. Um, but I think Spain are... More of a, you know, they're top of the top of the bill, aren't they? Um, so mm. yeah, I've got some friends who are a bit disappointed, and then Hamden won't have another game at this tournament. So, but let's be fair, Graham. In terms of the like the style of play we're going to see, I feel like it's what you guys are used to. Like it, oh, it, it's Taylor. it's it's more <laughs> fitting. I wouldn't want you to like like be so shocked by a different like style of play I, that you wouldn't even be able to fathom things. Do, do people on this podcast realize that Scotland are already out? Like we've had, we've had our punishment. Like we have taken so much on on board already. Is, I, is there really a need? I think I think Ryan's been working on his Taylor impression, and that was actually Ryan speaking in a Taylor voice with that dig. Man, Ryan, you are you are not stopping. Yeah, right. Yeah, what's uh, your problem? Sweden, man? a mummy, special little boys, Mandalorian reference. There we go. That was my other Taylor reference. <laughs> oh gosh. I don't even know what that's a reference to, which feels like it might be time to call this one quits. Yes, I love you dearly, Taylor. I love you dearly. Uh, We have our round of 16 set, of course. I'll just run through it very quickly. Belgium against Portugal. Italy against Austria. France against Switzerland. Croatia against Spain. The aforementioned Sweden against Ukraine. England against Germany. The Netherlands against the Czech Republic. Wales against Denmark. Some absolutely cracking ties in there. I'm obviously looking forward to England against Germany. Really like the sound of um, Wales against Denmark as well. And Belgium against Portugal highlights for me. Anybody else? got some particular games they're looking forward to graham how about you yeah i mean there's a number of big games in there you know italy versus austria wales versus denmark netherlands versus czech republic belgium versus portugal croatia versus spain france versus switzerland <laughs> and sweden versus ukraine they're all the games i'm looking forward to in that one hmm. let's see what you've done there joe i don't have a specific game uh but i will just say the the top half, or depending on where you're looking at this bracket, the left half or whatever, one half, the half with Belgium and, and, and Italy and, and France and Spain, that half is stacked. Yeah. And the side with England, Germany and the Netherlands and then some other very capable teams on that side as well. But that side is very much not stacked. It is uh, an unfortunate draw for all the the slightly smaller teams who got stuck on that stacked half of this bracket. Yeah, that's a good point. And in England, Germany arguably two of the bigger heavyweights in that side of the draw, if you can call England that, um, and will face the winner of Sweden against Ukraine in the quarterfinals. And then, yeah, it's it's a, it's an easier... It's a, it's a World Cup 2018-style path for England, I will say, uh, that much. Um, the next We've got some uh, couple days off coming here. I'm going to be watching a Star Wars and some Mandalorian in that time to catch up on my pop culture. Um, and I want you gentlemen to very much enjoy your time off. And thanks to everybody. It's 13 days we've done now, and particularly thanks to um, Joe and Graham who've been ever present during that period as well you need to go and have a nice lie down but our next games up are on Saturday um, we've got Wales Denmark uh, in Amsterdam no home support for the Danes by the way they've had that thus far, thus far so that should be interesting for them and Italy Austria at Wembley Stadium marvellous stuff Taylor Rockwell thank you very much uh, anything more from you before we head off into the sunset for a, for a, for a break from the Euro 2020 for a little while just that it seems mildly unfair that, like, with how erratic Germany has been, they end up being the only team to get an easy draw in the knockout round. Cause, <laughs> because Portugal oh. have to have Belgium, France have to have Switzerland. Those are both tricky. But, you know, Germany's opponent, I think they'll be fine. 
Mm. Sure. Graham, I balanced it, Graham. I balanced it, Graham. (laughs) Editorial balance is what we're all about. Thank you very much, Taylor. And um, Germany, we were saying off air, might have won the kit war. Right, Graham? They've uh, they've got that nice black kit they were wearing uh, in this game, especially with a bit of monsoon on it. Very nice. (laughs) I mean, I've been debating which is the best kit at this tournament, but this was the first time that Germany had worn it and I hadn't seen it in its full form with the, the, the shorts and the socks. And so there's no, the debate is over. This is the best kit at the Euros now, and I am going to buy it. Not the full kit. I don't do the full kit thing. Just the shirt. Wow. Uh, your OnlyFans uh, members can certainly attest to what you wear and when you wear it, Graham. I'll give you that. I think it's that one or the Ukraine away, the blue with the yellow trim. I really like that one as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, absolutely. Uh, Graham, thank you very much, sir. And Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed. Any opinions on kits or anything? Uh, the Germany one was cool. I'm a big fan of the Croatia checkered pattern. I don't have a lot more fashion knowledge or advice than that, so I'll just say, Ryan, thank you as always for having me. Oh, you're so lovely, Joe. And on that note, bye! <laughs>